Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. My co-host and partner in crime, Simone Malaz, is off doing important things. Um, I think she that might involve being on a boat right now, so we'll have to learn more about that uh, when she's back. But happy October, happy October 3rd uh, to all Mean Girls fans out there. I'm so excited. Um, We have a great show uh, for you today. Um, with a number of guests. Uh, the first guest I'm very excited to speak to, it's someone who I um, you know, have a lot of respect for, and you know, we could talk about so much. We could have him on so many shows, and I can't believe it's the first time we're actually having him on uh, Delta Dispatches, but a great go- guest to fill in um, for um, when Simone's out, you know, because we have so much to talk about. But Don Bosch, uh, professor and president emeritus of the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science, um, has such a long, uh, you know, resume and career that's involved, um, you know, a ton, everything from being appointed by President Obama to the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill, um, to being one of the fir- the first executive director of Louisiana University's Marine Consortium, LUMCON, um, and a professor of marine science at Louisiana State University, University and more. So we're going to talk about all of that. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Don. Hi, Jacques. Good to be with you. Yeah, and so you're dialing in from Maryland. I have to say, it's October here, but it does not feel like October. I think I got in my car and my thermo- uh, my thermostat read 103. So I don't know. I hope maybe on the East Coast you're feeling some fall weather. Well, today we are. Yesterday it was 98 degrees in Washington. Uh, I'm a little. I'm closer to the bay, so it was like 94. So, okay. but today it's uh, it's in the 70s. Well, yeah, I hope for all of our sake. I mean, people are talking about a cold front next week. So, you know, we really are looking forward to it down here. And I hope it cools down for you as well. Um, So, Don, you're in Maryland and you've really worked all over, but you have roots right here in New Orleans in the Bywater neighborhood. Is that right? That's right. I'm a fifth generation New Orleanian. Most of my ancestors arrived in the 1830s and 40s, which, of course, is much later than yours. Uh, But I was born and raised in Bywater, St. Claude area. And taught by the Brothers of Holy Cross on the banks of the Mississippi, where in the neighborhood you live in now. That's yeah. We have a lot of connections there, and I, I think we talked about my family that lived in the Bywater in that in that neighborhood. And I have to say, because uh, you know I do have family that went to Holy Cross, but I went to Jesuit, and Simone, you know, uh, gave me a hard time when we had a Brother Martin alum on the show recently, Steve Caparata with WAFB. But I, we won't go into the high school rivalries uh, right now. But <laughs> okay, another, another time. But apparently, uh, Holy Cross and Jesuit are playing, I think, their 100th uh, match or something like that this this Friday. I, I unfortunately won't be there, but that's quite a, 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 a you know, on a momentous occasion. So we'll have to see who wins and, and maybe great tradition. chat about it after. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your background, Don, and all of your accomplishments. I mean, how did a boy growing up in the Bywater make it all the way to, the, to being the president of the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science, you know, appointed to the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill, um, and, you know, just being the foremost expert on uh, coastal ecosystems, adaptation, climate change? Well, uh, I guess you'd have to say hard work and dogged determination and an awful lot of luck. Uh, I I guess I have to give my parents a lot of credit. You know, when I grew up in New Orleans, my mother uh, has a passion for reading and knowledge, and I got that from her. And my father uh, just loved the outdoors, loved coastal waters and marshes of Louisiana. So I guess I'm combined the two. Uh, 
I spent my whole career doing research on coastal and continental shelf uh, ecosystems, including including when I was in Louisiana, research on the offshore oil and gas um, effects of the offshore oil and gas industry. And I think that's what got me a place on the oil spill commissioners. So I have to say, the commissioners used to joke that I was the only one who knew how to pronounce the names of places <laughs> down there. Uh, I got involved in climate change issues uh, uh, around, 19, around 2000 when I was tapped to work on the first U.S. climate uh, assessment. And that was, uh, to me, a transformative experience because it, uh, uh, the challenges we face are enormous and, and the, the, the issues are urgent. Well, you know, I think that's great advice, both in terms of being, you know, physically here in the in the environment and understanding your environment. I probably cannot um, uh, under you shouldn't underestimate how important it is to know how to pronounce places. Um, but then also, you know, you know the the love of learning that you know definitely our parents uh, instilled in us. So, tell us a little bit about you know we we have uh, folks that listen to our podcast and we focus a lot on kind of the future generation. So, what advice would you give to that young scientist or even let's say high schooler out there that's thinking about, you know, I want to have a career in, in coastal issues or, or working on climate change? Well, you know, there's never been a time when scientists working on these issues are more needed or for whom there are greater opportunities to make a difference in the world. It is a magical time for us. And I think there are going to be enormous opportunities in this area. Uh, the climate crisis is, is not only the grand challenge of their generation, as we've been reminded by these demonstrations and so on, but is arguably the greatest challenge in the history of our species. So, um, uh, you know, I would encourage people to engage in this uh, field. Um, prepare yourself uh, by developing broad understanding of the scientists. And I, I might add that includes the social sciences. This is as much about humans as it is about nature. And always ask the question, why? And then uh, follow that up with when you see someone presenting you with information, you should always ask, so what? what? What do I do with the information? I think those are kind of the principles that have guided me in my career. Yeah, I mean, that that's certainly great advice. And I think, you know, it's inspiring to see that this younger generation, even build below high school, I think, uh, are so in, in motivated and engaged and involved. And I think, I mean, they realize it's because they have to be, right? So um, I want to talk a little bit, you have extensive experience in the Chesapeake Bay over 35 years. So um, you were also recognized as an admiral of the Chesapeake. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to know a little bit about that. But tell us about your work in the region there. Well, I, I did, when I left Louisiana, finished, finished Tulane University, I did my doctoral research on the Chesapeake and then uh, went off to Australia for a year on a, po on a Fulbright postdoctoral fellowship, then returned to Virginia as a young uh, professor for eight years um, working on the Chesapeake. And, and when I was presented with this remarkable opportunity to come back to Louisiana to build the state's first university marine lab, I, I was only 34. And I went to discuss this with my dean then, and I was surprised. And I, when I surprisingly got the offer, I was—I thought he was going to counter the offer, but he got up, shook my hand, and said, "Congratulations, you have to do this." Well, anyway, I eventually came back to the Chesapeake area, and this time to Maryland, uh, and to um, a leadership position in higher education. I served for, in addition to that, I served uh, for 28 years um, on the. Uh, Chesapeake Bay Cabinet. This is the group, the group of de department heads, you know, environment and natural resources and other departments um, uh, to advise the governor. 
of five, five Maryland governors, both Democrats and Republicans. And I learned a lot about bringing good science, how to bring good science to bear on important decisions when it matters the most. So I think that's why some years ago, Governor O'Malley, remember him? He was the guy yeah. who tried to run for president uh, uh, last time. Yeah. Uh, he, he, was, he awarded me this. Uh, it's not given out often, but it's, uh, it's to acknowledge exceptional uh, contributions to the, our, our beloved uh, Chesapeake Bay in this region. Well, that is certainly a well-deserved honor and a pretty cool one at that. Um, so uh, we're about to head into a break, but um, I want to come back and talk a little bit about some of the similarities or differences um, between maybe Maryland's coast and the coast here in Louisiana. And I also want to talk a little bit about um, the role of science in decision making. You know, it's election season here in Louisiana. So, um, you know, looking ahead, really, what role does science play in helping us manage our coast? So um, if you don't mind sticking around with us, we have a lot more to get to, Don. Um, You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Always available online at deltadispatches.org. We will be right back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and we're back with Don Bosch, professor and president emeritus of University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science, and also a hometown New Orleans uh, boy. So, Don, welcome back to the show. Um, It is time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. So this is a segment where we highlight 
um, the responses we've received over time from people about why the coast is important to them. And this week's Coastal Voice is from Rebecca in Bossier City, just showing you that um, this is uh, statewide. People support uh, coastal restoration. And Rebecca says that it's our home and our responsibility. The land and sea have been so good to us. It's past time for us to be good to her. And couldn't agree more. So, Don, I want to talk a little bit about... um, you know, your work in Maryland, but also kind of comparing it to what we face in Louisiana. So how are the coastal challenges in Maryland uh, similar to or different from um, those here in Louisiana? Well, well, there are many similarities, including uh, there are the two large areas of sort of brackish estuarine environments in this country, the largest areas. They're both uh, known for their bountiful biological productivity uh, and the importance of these two environments, Louisiana and the Chesapeake, for the regional economy and, and indeed the very, very identity of the states. And I think you saw that in, in Rebecca from Bossier City. You know, that's part of what Louisiana is and it's part of what Maryland and Virginia is, you know, that, that these, uh, these coastal systems. Uh, these are the two largest, uh, two of the largest, there's other large ones, but in the world where there's concentrated effort to try to restore them from decades of degradation. And so the world is watching both of us, you know, whether we can do this. There, there are some differences. Louisiana, as you know, is subsiding rapidly, whereas the Chesapeake is not as much. And the Chesapeake lacks the large river like the Mississippi at supplying sediments to counteract that. So interestingly, although we're doing similar things, we both have a dead zone that we're trying to shrink and things of that sort. There are some differences. So in the Chesapeake, we're trying to reduce the sediment imports, inputs. And as you know, in Louisiana, we're trying to accomplish the opposite. Yeah. And I mean, you were talking a little bit before the break about your role in helping um, put science at the forefront of policymaking and and decision making there in Maryland. Um, We had a poll recently that found that 96 percent of voters want their elected officials to prioritize science and making decisions about the coast. So from your perspective, you know, why is it so important that Louisiana lead with science um, on coastal issues? Well, you know, that's reassuring to hear the poll results because uh, we aren't always didn't, don't get that kind of uh, affirmation. But uh, but but why shouldn't we uh, be acting on the basis of our best scientific evidence? And so I think it's a it's a requirement for society uh, to do that. And I, and I think just observing things in Louisiana, uh, the fact that you've got now three master plans, you'll be doing another uh, and each one is progressively using more and more sophisticated science. I think that's a real credit to Louisiana. Uh, this is a challenge, though, for scientists who, who are really good at finding out what caused things, you know, who killed Cock Robin, but less comfortable about what's saying what's going to happen in the future or how can we affect it. Uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity. It's a, it's a challenge and an opportunity for science to stand up and, and uh, provide the information that's required to make decisions, forward-looking decisions. And and you've written about this. I mean, there was another op-ed that you written you wrote about on um, this topic, and but also as the first executive director of uh, LumCon, right? Um, the importance mm-hmm. of collaboration. So why do you think it's so important that Louisiana's uh, universities, research institutions, kind of the scientific community work together on these these issues? Well, I think we, we, we do, we're able to do the work that we do, do the research and have the, the fun and, and experience in doing that. It's part of a, really a social contract. You know, the public funds us. They, they fund us through the support for the universities and they fund us through 
you know, government grants and so on. And I, I think it's a responsibility of scientists to to honor that social contract that we do research and we provide information which is useful. Now, that requires some organization. Sometimes we we're, you know, scientists, science is a very competitive thing. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging thing where scientists challenge one another with different ideas. But I think the times demand us to kind of bring scientists together, much like you see that's being done on a global basis on climate change, where we have these new reports that come out to show the scientific consensus to basically say this is what the science can say and this is what it means. And that's a perfect segue um, into our next topic, which is about um, you know an op-ed that was recently published in The Advocate that you authored. Um, in response to the recent IPCC report um, on ocean. So tell us a little bit about the op-ed, um, you know, kind of what you said in it, but also why, why you felt it was important to write that piece. Right. Well, I wrote it together with Barry Gold, who is with the Walton Family Foundation, who is also a scientist. But, he, you know, as you know, he's been the Walton Family Foundation is heavily invested in, in restoration issues in Louisiana. And, and so we, we observed in this, um, in this report, this latest report that came out from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, um, which got a lot of headlines uh, about, you know, the terrible consequences and what we might be facing in terms of really, you know, massive sea level rise, loss of corals in the ocean, all of these kinds of uh, things, uh, the, the loss of the ice sheets in, in the polar regions. And so we looked at this and said, well, yeah, that, that, that's a very sober message. But looking through, reading through it carefully, there's also some good news in it, some opportunities in it. One of them is that the sea level rise rates that we would expect to take place, the scientific consensus over the next 50 years, are actually lower than what the, the state of Louisiana, through its prudence and you know, abundance of caution, have assumed in the master plan. So that sea level is going to rise at least over the first 50 years much more, more slowly than we had planned. That gives us opportunity in this period to actually be, get this restoration done, build some land when sea level, we're not fighting such a rapid rise in sea level. Um, and, and at the same time, though, we need to actually begin thinking about this transition we will make in terms of our energy system. Because if we don't, we, meaning the world, doesn't make it. Then later on, toward the end of the century and beyond, you know, sea level will re- rise will really take off if the as the as in Antarctica and Greenland melt, and then the the future for Louisiana is much more bleak. So the message is we have this moment in time because when sea levels rises isn't going to take off just yet to st- slow the warming. Stop that up, stop that risk, reduce that risk, but also build resilience in our systems by doing the restoration projects that we're now trying to do. Right. So it, it is kind of, you know, both the um, curbing emissions while actually working to restore and, and kind of um, build in resilience and adaptation. Um, right. Why are sediment diversions so critical in that mix? Well, you know, we, you, you just the science tells us. I mentioned earlier, science is really good at telling us what happened, why things are the way they are, and what the science is pretty clear. The reason there is this landscape in coastal Louisiana is that this these, the river built it. It built it with river sediments, and as the as the course of the river switched, it built new lands and so on. So every time it builds lands, it, it, it abandons uh, other courses. Those lands tend to subside. 
so what we've done over the over over you know our modern history is we've constrained that by levying the river all the way to the Gulf, and we've stopped that building building um, uh, activity. So the science tells us, the geology tells us pretty clearly we need to begin. We need to reinstate that delta building process and, and spread sediments around because we're always fighting against the rapidly sinking landscape because of the very thick amount of sediments uh, that underlie South Louisiana. You have to kind of add to it all the time, and so that that's what diversions are designed to do, and that's why they are, need to be a critical part of the overall restoration strategy. Great. Um, well, we have a lot more to talk about, if you don't mind hanging on for one more segment. Um, right. uh, we're with Don Bosch, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, um, always available online at deltadispatches.org. Don, we while we're heading into a break, uh, I don't know if you know this from listening to the show, but we like to ask a fun question. So your fun question is, what is your favorite marine creature? Oh, hard choice. <laughs> I know it's a tough one. Don't want to put you on the you spot. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Tell tell us what, okay. what it is. Uh, as, as a kid, as a kid, when I first got into this, uh, it was the hermit crab. Uh, but I have to say, since then, it's still crustaceans. But I actually had the opportunity to actually physically describe and name four species of crustaceans. So those have to be my favorite animals. One is a little lobster-like critter that lives in the Gulf of Mexico, and three are little smaller crustaceans that live in Australia. I think that's a pretty good response. I mean, if you name something, it has to be your favorite. All right. I own it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks, Don. We'll be right back after the break. You're on the ASPN Network. Coastal news for the pelagic-minded. Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and I'm back with Don Bosch, Professor and President Emeritus of University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science, who just told me his favorite marine creatures are four that he discovered and named, which is probably one of the best responses to a fun question we've received in a long time on Delta Dispatches. Welcome back, Don. Good to be back. So I want to dig in a little bit. Um, You were appointed by President Obama uh, to the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon Oil Spill and Offshore Drilling um, in 2010. Um, What was that experience like? Well, it was pretty uh, intense. uh, For We had only six months to do our work, and it was a fairly high-level, high-profile uh, experience, um, as the folks down in, the, in Louisiana know, heard about it. Uh, I, it was a disturbing experience about, you know, once when we learned the details of what had happened, I think our commission was really the one that broke a lot of the details about exactly the chain of events that went wrong. And, and to discover those and to see how this all played out is very disturbing. It was thrilling to, to be, you know, in the center of attention to get this visibility and know that this was so important. And, and I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about about geology that I, as a scientist, I didn't fully understand as well as the drilling technology. And, and so the challenge we had was to put it together, but also to focus on what was really important of all the things that we learned. What are the ones that we can act on? And so we came up with a number of recommendations 
only some of which have been acted on to make uh, make drilling in the Gulf uh, safer. Um, and as it turns out, we, we're the seven of us who are on the commission. We're going to get together again later this year, uh, coming up with the 10th anniversary to kind of do a retrospective about what we uh, what's happened since our report was issued and what things have been done, what improvements have been made and what things need to be done. So uh, we're looking at this, um, although we're all off doing our own things now, we have no, no official government uh, role or responsibility. We're going to do it um, later this year. Well, and, you know, I can't imagine kind of both the pressure, but also kind of seeing the devastation and impacts and, and kind of the extent of the spill um, and, and, and no, you know, being from here as well and, and kind of feeling that um, sense of, of injury, um, you know, must have been really, really hard, um, hard work. I mean, 10 years later, it's hard to imagine that we're out already at 10 years, but what, what are you thinking about? I mean, what are some of the ongoing challenges? Um, and really, you know, I hate to ask this question because I realize it's so broad and there's so many nuances, but I mean, how would you say the Gulf is doing 10 years later? Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I uh, although it's not, it's not, doesn't figure prominently in my, in my biography. I, I was actually also later after the commission. I was actually later on the government's, uh, federal government's uh, lead witness on environmental effects during the trial that uh, that took place in New Orleans under before Judge Barbier. This has happened before before the thing was uh, actually settled. So I had to kind of assess the damages then and report it to him. So I think the longer term effects that I'm most concerned about is that, of course, where the wetlands were affected, there were wetlands that were permanently lost, and there's long term damage uh, there. Uh, the the impacts on on things that we care about, uh, uh, like uh, marine mammals, dolphins, and uh, and sea turtles are, are really troubling when all of the all of the information came out. But the, these animals live a long time, and they were particularly exposed, and so that's just contributing to all the other stresses on on those species. Some of the other areas that were damaged are, are going to improve over time, and in some some cases, we unfortunately can't do much about it. You know, deep water corals that were 400 years old that were uh, killed or damaged. Um, it's really hard to restore them. But other kinds of damages, uh, for example, on birds, uh, I think there are already efforts underway to kind of, um, uh, you know, to give restitution to those resources. I mean, just uh, recently announced, going on now, I guess, is the restoration of Queen Bess Island Mm -hmm. in Barataria Bay, a a very important uh, pelican uh, rookery. Um, A similar, I think, restoration is planned for Breton Island. So there are opportunities that we we can to restore some of the damaged resources. But I guess the main message is uh, I think we can get better at at protecting things from oil spills and and, and restoring things uh, to to the limits of what we can. But I think the main message is that we just have to do a better job of preventing these kinds of uh, catastrophes in the future. Right. Well, you know, our certainly we felt this in Louisiana, and I think a lot of coastal areas um, feel, you know, threats from storms, sea level rise. I mean, the oil spill. Um, and thinking about our coastal areas, I mean, what does that, what does resilience mean to you? Well, resilience, I guess you might have put it in a simple terms. If something can take a licking, and you know, and keep on ticking. <laughs> So that so that so that if there is a hurricane or some event that takes place that, that or an oil spill that takes place, we want systems that can 
have tolerate these things to have fairly limited damage, but also to recover and persist more um, more substantially. I think that's true not only for coastal ecosystems, that's also true for coastal communities. Uh, we want to be able to improve the uh, resistance to the effects, but also the resilience, the ability to snap back and recover uh, from uh, from these um, uh, short-term um, uh, threats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of talking about Louisiana specifically, you know, we, we we get a lot of tough news sometimes, you know, whether it's some of the reports that are coming out about uh, global sea level rise, whether it's the ongoing land loss. You know, of course, we are always holding our breath during hurricane season. Um, and we, we heard this after Katrina, right? You know, oh, you all should just pick up and, and leave. You know, you shouldn't live there anymore. Um, I mean, in your opinion, given your your expertise, but also your connections to, to this place, I mean, why is Louisiana's coast worth fighting for? Well, I, I, I probably don't need to tell Louisianans why, because they, they know they know well why it's important to them. And in, in terms of not only the resources, but living resources, but also the protection afforded by the coastal environments from storm surges and, and just the sense of place. This is what this environment is like that, that we treasure. And this is what uh, uh, what what the people there are, are really, you know, you know, mirror the environment. Uh, so it has deep cultural uh, significance as well. But from a national perspective, I think this is important because I, I think I think folks could do a better job of, of making it nationally significant. Uh, we do. We tend to talk about acres of wetlands and, mm-hmm. and pounds of shrimp and oil produced. But, you know, that that doesn't break through a lot of a lot of people's concerns elsewhere. I think the the key to it is the mouth of the Mississippi River. How important that is to the nation to make sure we have navigational access, to make sure that we're having uh, as as the climate changes and we have these intense um, floods like we had this year. Uh, understanding that that's where the that's where the water flows. We, we need to really connect um, the coast of Louisiana to the rest of the nation and why it's significant to them. Uh, in order to engage them and be part of the, you know, contributing resources and attention uh, to being part of the solution. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's it's why we're here in a lot of ways um, and why kind of the area has grown. Are you hopeful? Um, I mean, and I, you kind of struck a hopeful tone in your, your op-ed, or at least one that was um, kind of urging of action. But uh, when you think about some of the challenges we face, do you think there are signs to be... Uh, Hopeful but realistic. Well, both, obviously, but uh, but but the, the hope comes in the fact that we do have in Louisiana a, a plan. I mean, a plan that's now gone through several versions and it's getting better and better over time, and that's based on science. This is the master plan. A key, critical component of these, what we discussed, are these river diversions that that the science tells us has to have to be done to you know kind of re establish the functioning of the Delta. Uh, we have, uh, because of the silver lining in the oil spill, resources available to implement them. Uh, we have certainly some challenges in terms of the design and all the technical details, but we need to make sure that we're not, you know, not you know, uh, just putting obstacles in the way 
because this is the processes that we normally use. We have to recognize the urgency of this. And, and as a society, as our governments, be able to make critical decisions with the information available on a more considered, um, timely basis in order to take advantage of this opportunity. Great. Um, I know that you're uh, very active um, on Twitter, and, and I really enjoy kind of following uh, your, your tweets um, and your commentary and analysis. So I want to make sure people um, can follow you. So where, where, what is your Twitter handle? It's just at Don Bosch. That's B-O-E-S-C-H. Um, and um, I'm there. And I'm, since I'm retired in particular, I have no no administrative or institutional responsibility. I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm unleashed <laughs> in terms of what I can say and comment on. So uh, hopefully I, I point to things that are important, both to the Chesapeake Bay region, as well as to, uh, as well as the coast of Louisiana and my tweets. So well, if you want to see something that gets, rings my bell, uh, follow me and I, and, It'll be interesting. I can uh, understand, appreciate that. I was just speaking with um, Shannon Kniff, who recently retired from EDF as the director of Coastal Resilience. And Shannon's been a very prolific tweeter. And I'm like, well, you know, now you can really tweet about anything you want and say anything you want and and really not worry about it. So it's kind of that that fun flexibility um, right. and freedom. Well, Don, thank you so much for being on. Um, we'd love to have you back anytime, particularly as we get into the uh, oil spill anniversary next year. And thank you so much for all your work on Louisiana's coast. Great. It was fun, Jacques. Thanks. All right. We'll be right back with Undelta Dispatches after the break. From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And my colleague Simone Malaz is not in today. She's out doing important business. But we have someone from Restore Retreat joining us, Victoria Segrera, the other half of the Restore or Retreat <laughs> dynamic duo. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Victoria. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm the less cool version of Simone, <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. Uh, I don't know about that, but I, I, I promise I won't ask you what kind of a boss Simone is because she might get mad if we just uh, talk about that on the air. So, <laughs> Well, f- feel free to because I can genuinely say Simone is a phenomenal boss and I'm learning a ton working under her. So if you wanted to ask, there's your answer. Oh, there you go. Brownie points, Simone. <laughs> um, well, uh, Victoria, you are from Abbeville. You've um, you know, worked with the Coastal Wetlands Planning Pro- um, Protection and Restoration Act, CRIPRA, uh, that's a mouthful, as an intern. Um, you're also royalty. Uh, you, were the, you represented oh the Louisiana Cattle Festival as their 65th queen. Um, and uh, the Louisiana Association of Fairs and Festivals is their 2014 queen. So I don't know about being the less cool version of Restore Retreat. I think y'all are equally cool over there. Um, but <laughs> anyway, how has your summer been going? Um, tell us what's going on with Restore Retreat. Sure. So it's been going great. Um, all the things that you referenced are my other life that I've mm-hmm. moved on from. So Um, In my work life, we've been very busy. Um, We had a very busy summer and spring, and we are rolling straight into fall, um, and we cannot wait. 
So well, things at Restore Retreat are moving as usual, but we're excited about it. I don't know how you all get everything done that you get done with two people. I mean, like I said, dynamic duo, you are kind of movers and shakers and constantly out there doing amazing things. So I know recently um, you had um, an event, an annual meeting that included Dr. Jay Clune of Nichols, who we've had on the show, as well as avid listener Chip Klein. So how did that go? <laughs> It went really well. Um, we had a great turnout, and we um, had it at the Ellendale Country Club, which is a beautiful venue. They had great food. Um, we kicked off the meeting with an update on Restore Retreat, led by Simone, um, who then welcomed, as you said, uh, your avid listener, Chip Klein, uh, CPRA chairman, and Chip welcomed Dr. Clune, who spoke on the many exciting things happening at Nichols. Um, as you know, Nichols is coined by Dr. Kloon as the university that is closest to the coast. So we got to hear um, a lot about what's happening in that regard, um, some of which includes the university's farm, um, the planning of a new coastal center with the state. And he even talked about um, Boots, who is Ooh, yes. his dog and has become quite the staple of the campus. Well, you know, Nichols is doing such great work and we love having Dr. Clune on and we love talking about boots too. So that sounds like it was a fun <laughs> event. Um, you also have one coming up on Working for Our Coast. What's that all about? Yeah, so Working for Our Coast is a coastal workforce program which provides Lafourche and Terrebonne Parish ninth graders with the opportunity to learn about coastal careers that are available to them. Um, some of which have a direct pack on their home parishes. Um, even if the students are not necessarily interested in a career in coastal, we still take advantage of the opportunity to educate these students on the coastal issues and land loss that their parish is facing um, and how important it is to restore our coast. So we try to be as well-rounded with this event as possible. Um, it is twice a year in the spring and the fall, and it rotates between Lafourche and Terrebonne parishes. So these kids leave with knowledge of um, coastal restoration, what's going on in their parish, but they also leave with some resources such as resume templates, um, soft skill listings, and different curriculums that are available to them depending on the career that they may be interested in. Yeah, that's so cool. And we've we've really focused on kind of both coastal literacy and coastal careers on the show. And I, I know um, you and Simone and Restore Retreat have done so much on that. Um, and, and even, you know, um, um, Don Bosch earlier was talking about, you know, what inspired him to, to pursue this career and then also advice he would give to the next generation. So such an important opportunity. Who are they going to hear from? What are, who are some of the speakers? Uh, so we have representative from, representatives from local levy districts. Um, we have some engineering folks, some parish and city staff who are going to talk about current coastal projects, um, wildlife biologists, project design, construction. Um, we have some geomatics folks and pretty much everything in between. Um, like I said, we try to be as well-rounded as possible to help students who want to pursue maybe a four-year track to a university, but also those students who are interested in going to technical school and getting to work as soon as possible. And it's not just, um, you know, all talk, right? It's going to, they're going to be demonstrations and other things going <laughs> on. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's personally, that's my favorite part of the day. Um, I'm more of a learn by sight person. So I think some of these kids get really excited about that, too. Um, so we are doing, um, we'll have some ATVs there. So four-wheelers, that's what I grew up calling them, four-wheelers. <laughs> 
so we'll have some ATVs or four-wheelers. Um, we'll have some airboats. We'll even have some drones on site. And I'm working on getting an excavator there. So Oof. we're going to have some really cool demo equipment. Um, these students are going to get to see and touch and learn about how all these different aspects work together to create the projects that protect them. Um, so we'll have these big equipment pieces on the lawn, but we're also going to have groups like Ducks Unlimited, Morgan's Action Coalition, CPRA, um, the Bear Terrier Terrebonne National Estuary Program, and others who are going to have tables um, to provide more information if the students are interested. And who um, makes the event possible? Because I know you, you all get support for these sorts of things. So um, who are the sponsors? Yeah, we're very fortunate to have the support of Chevron, by Community Foundation, and of course the hospitality of Fletcher Technical Community College where we host the event. Um, in the past, we've also had the support of the Kale Family Fund and the Fouchant Oilman's Association. So we've been very blessed with some good loving folks in the parish. Awesome. <laughs> well, um, you know, good luck with the event. And, and when Simone comes back, Whenever that is, she'll have to tell me how it went. Um, but there are Absolutely. two things I have to do before we close out or else I'll get in trouble uh, with Simone. Okay. The first is a fun question. Um, so do you know that today's Mean Girls Day? It's October 3rd. Oh, my God. What's today? Today's October 3rd. Okay, good. <laughs> so what Mean yes. Girls character would you be? Oh, God. Um, Jacques, I don't know. Okay, I would be the cool mom, obviously. Not the regular mom. Um, honestly, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but what's the guy's name? Damien. Damien. Awesome. I feel like I would absolutely love to be Damien. Okay, good answer, and I'm the cool mom. All right, <laughs> um, and then I have to do the Coastal Stat of the Week, which is all about restore retreat, well, and your your area. So two of the most rapidly eroding estuaries on the earth are right here in southeast Louisiana, the Barrett area and Terrebonne Basins, and we stand to lose much more than that be soil beneath our feet. These basins produce 30% of the nation's seafood production, provide Wintering habitat for migratory waterfowl serve as the entry point for 18% of America's foreign and domestic energy supply and have produced a unique South Louisiana culture closely tied to its homeland. And that is directly from the Restore Retreat website, which is? www.restoreretreat.org. And what about what about your Twitter handle? Uh, so we're just at Restore Retreat, and you can find us um, on the same handle on Instagram and then Restore Retreat on Facebook. Well, awesome. And and uh, Victoria, you don't just work the coast. You've lived the coast, right? You grew up in coastal Louisiana and Vermilion Parish. I did, yes. You are correct. How was that? How did that shape kind of your interest in these issues and also your, um, I don't know, love of, of Louisiana's coast? Um, so, as you said, I was born in Abbeville, but I was born a little bit, well, I was born in Abbeville, yes, but I lived a little bit south of Abbeville and a little north of Intracoastal City if any of the listeners know about where that is. Um, and so growing up there and seeing the changes for myself and having come from an agricultural-based family, um, fishing and hunting in these marshes, I got to see the changes. And um, that really fueled my fire to do something about it. So 
That's why I've pursued a career in coastal restoration and advocating for a coast that has provided so much for me. Well, that is an amazing answer. And we're so grateful to have you working alongside Simone at Restore Retreat on these issues. So tell her to come back to me. I miss her. But hey, you can call in anytime too. Um, Good luck with the events, Victoria. And thanks for joining. And thanks to all of you for listening. Um, Catch us next week or always online at deltadispatches.org.